Hello and welcome to Design Untangled with me, Chris Mears and Carla Lindarte. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, how are you? Good. Where are we? We are in a freezing place. It's really cold in here, but we are at Google right now in the King's Crop. Oh, do you King's work at you work at Google? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so we're sat on the roof, so it's freezing. And windy. So sorry about the noise if it gets windy. Yeah, um, so today we're going to talk about design ethics and what it means to design ethically mm -hmm. and why you should potentially think about what sort of designs you're releasing into the world as well. Mm -hmm. So the reason I thought this would be interesting to talk about is because recently kind of the regulator in the UK has given hotel sites a bit of a beat down in terms of like when you're browsing a hotel and it says stuff like 14 people are looking at this room and stuff like that in order to make you buy it. Mm -hmm. What they've been doing is basically, although people are looking at the hotel, it's for different dates than you're looking at, stuff like that. And when they're saying discounts, it's compared to different types of rooms. So like they're comparing the discount to a, a luxury room, so not like for like. So they've been a bit cheeky. No, that's... That's actually good, isn't it? Because I've myself, as a user, been um, conned. Can is that what you say in English? Conned. Conned uh, before a number of times. Actually, recently I'd made a booking through a website to rent a car in Spain, um, and it was giving me a price, which is something that sometimes like websites do. They give you a price in the checkout process, and you make sure you have your insurance included, etc., etc. But then once you go into the place when you pick up the car, mm -hmm. they said, "Yeah, insurance is included, but on the website and no on the actually car, like the car dealer or like right. the car rental property uh, um, company." So it means that you have to pay extra insurance there, and it's, oh yeah, but you also have to like pay for petrol, and you have to pay for this. So obviously this website is hiding a lot of information that yeah. the user should know. So it's good that they're doing that. Yeah, it's kind of the trend, I think, like against dark patterns and stuff like that. So when you see those kind of design treatments, they're designed to elicit a behavior from the user and I guess there's a question there whether are you doing that in an ethical way so you're not misleading people mm -hmm. like there's an argument obviously from the business side you want to encourage people to convert basically but it's at what cost essentially are you converting because you're giving a false impression of the deal they're getting basically mm -hmm. or how scarce I suppose it is as well stuff like that so yeah, I think there's a bit of a revolution almost in the design world trying to get rid of these sort of practices a little bit. I think it slowly changed as well because I remember when I was in the days when I was working for e-commerce like platforms and designing the checkout process, there was a lot of like hidden like terms and conditions and like um, you know things that had been checked in. Uh, like a uh, pre-checked in so then you know you you agree to receive marketing yeah. material and stuff like that and I think slowly that trend changed then I remember being in conversations with the client and the client really forcing the design team or UX team to make sure that they did yeah. the wrong way <laughs> and then you having conversations saying you, you actually need to allow the user to opt in and I think there's a lot of, of things happening with the GDPR and you know, privacy and all that stuff that is really changing the mentality of businesses right now. Um, and just making sure, um, and something that we 
talk to clients about at Google as well when they're talking about data is that businesses should be focusing on perhaps less um, customer data but cleaner and better which means yep. um, creating that really that relationship with the customer being upfront being honest and even if you don't have like millions of people in your database and your first party data you still have clean and people who really want to hear from you so it's um it's not so much about the reach you know lots of reach right now but it's just my quality of that data yeah and i think there's like that shifted the consumer sentiment as well so people are probably getting angrier about being misled i would say and more willing to take their business elsewhere mm -hmm. if they feel that's the case so yeah i think it's kind of a mixture of that and gdpr and hopefully businesses wanting to actually be more ethical in general because sadly you know that's what sells i suppose at the moment being ethical is a selling point you know whether that's a good thing or not i don't know um, <laughs> let's pretend to be ethical right? yeah exactly <laughs> pay our slave workers really well um so yeah it's a kind of a combination of those factors that i think is leading designers to think a bit more carefully and that's one side of the coin but there's also like what things should you actually be working on in the first place that make the world a better place i mm. know on the slack we've certainly seen that being as kind of a key motivation for a lot of new people joining like yeah. the design arena and it's quite a strong driver so i think companies have to do a lot more around like offering ethical products and services that do actually deliver value to people yeah i know that's really hard it is hard to find those kind of like projects and products and services um i mean i've you know there are companies that are actually really doing that but you know majority is still i see I, i think it's the same majority of the projects are not necessarily like um different to just making people who have a lot of money even richer yeah, <laughs> yeah. so Again, like it's, it's a balance, isn't it? But yes, I definitely think that is a drive for everyone. I mean, I think all of us want, as designers, we all think about like changing the world at some point. Um, and hopefully, I think with the, the kind of the spread of um, startups, you know, they actually, you know, build like building stuff that is solving human needs. Um, I think that's really changing the market, I guess. But still a way to go. Yeah, definitely still a way to go. And you can't always afford to be picky about what company you work for, I suppose, yeah, exactly. um, especially in early in your career. So when you're in those situations where perhaps the company isn't necessarily focused on ethics or delivering stuff for the greater good and they are just about making money, I think you can still try and direct them in a bit more of an ethical route in terms of like understanding what their users actually need because... You know, most people go to company because they need something. You mm -hmm. know, it might not be a world-changing task they need to accomplish, but you can still deliver that in a way that helps them and at least doesn't leave them worse off after the interaction. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, you can also like find, not necessarily with your job, but you can find things outside your work mm -hmm. um, that you could do to uh, make you feel that you've created an impact somewhere else or to someone else I guess I think even this podcast is a way of I mean we're not obviously changing the world but we are I mean we've heard I've 
received a lot of messages from people like thanking you and thanking us for what we say, etc. I think if you find something that you're passionate about that is easy to fit into your schedule, mm-hmm. um, at least you're doing something that yeah. is not necessarily making like rich people be richer. You know. Yeah, um, probably worth shouting out one of our partners, which is UX for Change at this point. So they basically try and harness designers and their talents to help charities solve issues. So it's all that kind of stuff that you can get involved with if you're not, you know, moving the world in your actual career. You yeah. know, you can still do stuff to find that fulfillment elsewhere. That's true. I mean, even here at Google, I'm just going to talk about my personal experience. Um, obviously, I work for the part of Google that sells advertising which doesn't necessarily sound very like um, <laughs> you know cha- world changing but I'm trying to find a, a Google what they, they do is a 20% project so you can actually spend 20% of your time doing something else that yep. is not necessarily related to your job and I've been talking to um, a team of people here um, they, they created a product called Google Go which is a an app that Um, is basically targeted to people in uh, developing countries where they don't have very good access to the internet mm-hmm. to be able to find the best of Google, like which means maps and search, etc., in a very light way. So they actually have access to information in places that they that yeah. very remote. So like trying to get myself into something like that, at least it gives me some kind of like different purpose to what yeah. I'm doing day to day and. I mean, there are companies like this that allow you to do that. If you can't do it within your own company, just yeah, try to find a project somewhere else. There is a lot of pro bono work happening and you can always step into those people. Get more experience in doing yep. something related to your career and also doing something for, for society. Yeah, and I think reaching those digitally excluded audiences particularly is something that you can try and help with, even on your kind of existing projects or whatever. Um, that's a big area I suppose of detriment for people you know we're off creating all these cool digital products and Mm -hmm. there's still massive proportions of the population that just can't access them you know for infrastructure reasons or just digital skills or whatever so looking at ways you can bring that experience to those users and make it accessible to them is Mm -hmm. one other way you can help I suppose yeah I mean also like um, there is a especially as a user researcher, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, uh, in my experience and what I've observed so far in the market in London is that there is still a lot of biases on, like, we test our products and, you know, experiences with people are very similar to us. In, mm-hmm. Even if we try to find different demographics, um, different age ranges, they like, they still very, like, digitally savvy-ish. Yeah. Uh, or at least have more access to things. Like, obviously, it all depends on the project you're on and the resources, but um, if your target audience is a bit... should be a bit beyond that. You should try and research where the areas where you really think, um, you know, people are not necessarily going to be familiar with, with yep. these experiences because then the feedback you get is really different and then you reduce your biases as well. Yeah, and this kind of is where I challenge the the whole notion of sort of the lean design it for 80% kind of stuff. You need to think really hard about by not designing it for those other 20%, are you being ethical by doing that? Are you excluding people that actually do need this potentially more than the other 80%? So, yeah, there's always going to be trade-offs there, but 
it's almost like you have to think about what you're not doing rather than what you're doing to a certain extent yeah exactly that's really important and then try to put it in as part of your research plans um to make sure you you try to include as much as you can because sometimes it's just not possible right because yeah. you have to travel because you don't have access to that particular audience or population but i think it's always important to to try and think like that yeah and it even comes down to the level of like the language you're using in your products stuff mm. like that does any yes. of that potentially exclude or you know is detrimental to a particular segment of people you know maybe english is a second language or if you're biasing for gender ethnicity that sort of stuff in the language that you use maybe even without realizing it so. yeah that is so true like i mean i obviously have uh, english is my second language and sometimes i look at like websites and apps that they use expressions i've never heard before mm. and i need to ask people what that actually mean um i mean i i have quite a good English uh, you know but there's some people who don't and then it, you have to really think about that um, because yeah you kind of you can make it very local very like to your own yeah. um, environment and if you want this product to really be impacting other people you should think about that yeah mm -hmm. that's a very good point I think is yeah I mean it, it is a very interesting topic I have to say um, to how much we can actually have that impact it all depends on you yourself um, I mean you always need I mean you only you only go as far as you can actually go right but just try to always have that that point of view in your mind when you think about a new product or a new venture or a new a job as well yeah um, because it is um, it is a motivation and I think it's really fulfilling if you know that you're doing something yeah for the good of the world have you heard of ikigai before no no, so it's like some Japanese philosophy thing, basically, and it's it's all about like what your purpose in life should be. Oh, yeah. So it's, I think it's if you Google it while I talk, so I can remember the diagram. Say <laughs> I K I G A I. I K I G A I. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. This is good listening right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like a, the intersection of what you can be paid for, mm. what the world needs, what you're good at and then what you love, love. Yeah. yeah so your passion so i think kind of being ethical probably for, would help you at least get a bit towards the center of that yeah venn diagram a little bit there um because what the world needs definitely is people not fucking over other people <laughs> i would say <laughs> that's really good actually i also like related to this i've been reading or listening actually because it's an audiobook but um listening to find your why uh, from simon sinek yeah um I, actually he didn't write it i think it's people and he he's thing who write who wrote the book but it gives you a lot of like practical exercises um to find your why your purpose I mean, it's all—it's a bit fluffy, yeah. but it's actually a very tangible framework that um, basically, in summary, you need to find someone, a partner, like someone who can is willing to help you find your why if you still haven't found it yet. And then you talk through your, the way, you basically do focus on your how, so how you like working and how you like yeah. doing things to find your why, which would be the purpose. Mm-hmm. And then what you like and what you dislike. And this person needs to listen to you and start capturing the themes, like similar to kind of research, right? Yeah. And you capture these themes and then at the end you write a statement 
um, this person writes an statement for you and then you then go and test that statement with your friends and family and it's, it's, it's actually really useful because it allows you to make decisions as well like what you're going to be doing next in your career like mm -hmm. what um, in your life as well what's important for you so I really recommend the book and it's really tangible and it gives you like tangible steps to go through yep. so that's, that's good it's kind of the opposite of the ikigai book I read saying because <laughs> that was rubbish <laughs> it was like so that's what I was hoping to get out of it is those tangible <laughs> things to figure it out but it was basically like <laughs> Japanese people live a really long time because they eat lots of fish I was like okay <laughs> yeah. Well, Simon Sinek's book is actually good. There's another book, um, I haven't written it, I haven't read it yet, but I've been recommended the book. It's called um, Pivot, I think it's called. Pivot, yeah. Pivot, and it was written by a Googler. That's why another Googler recommended it to me. Um, apparently, it's also really good. It's also a framework to find, you know, yeah. your, your next step in your career, what you want to do next. So, yeah, recommend it, even though I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Well, that that recommendation carries a lot of but weight. But I'm going to read that one next after I find my wife, yeah. whichever I'm, I'm about to finish. <laughs> that was almost like a dark pattern on a review site, wasn't it? Carla and Date recommends this book. <laughs> and then the asterisk, she's never read it. <laughs> okay. Okay, um, right. well, yeah, I don't have anything else because once again we've though. chosen a freezing cold location to record. So we should probably stop doing that, it's shouldn't nice we? It's a nice view, though. It is a nice view. Yeah, we yeah. should take a picture and put it on this like room. Yeah, all right. Um, so yeah, that's it. See you, See you next, next time. time. Bye. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.